1: Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 142 being recorded on Thursday, August 23rd, 2018. I'm your host, Jason, Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host and Tar Heel of the Week, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show
0: listeners. Yes, it's true. I was Tar... I guess I'm Tar Heel of this week, so... um we have a newspaper here in Raleigh called the News and Observer. It's been around forever, and they do this weekly uh, thing where someone is the Tar Heel of the week, uh, and that was me this week. I get to, I get a pen. Evidently, I'm pretty excited.
1: I think that's actually totally cool. Uh, at the risk of sounding corny, I am sort of proud for you.
0: Thanks, man. The thing that is a little complicated that unless you're in this area, you may not uh, understand. And so our state is the Tar Heel state, um, but UNC is the Tar Heels, and I'm an NC State person, so I'm really a Wolf Pack fan. So all my Wolf Pack fans have been giving me crap this week that I'm Tar Heel of the week because a lot of them don't understand it's a state it's thing a state, and not, not a school. UNC thing. So, gotcha. yeah. So. so- friction between unc nc state and duke it, it, it there is so that's been fun to deal with
1: oh i can totally imagine <laughs> i've just gone from being proud of you to thinking you should not accept <laughs> well it, no it's it very cool honor, so. yeah <laughs> i do i do get the conundrum though yeah yeah
0: and uh you were at etl east up in boston how how did that show go
1: uh it went really well. Um for those that have never had a chance to spend any time in Boston, it is very easy access to a Dunkin donut from anywhere in downtown Boston.
0: Yep. And then I have been to Boston and there are a fair number of Starbucks too, so you must have been a happy camper.
1: Yes, yes. Uh as I may have joked with you uh in our our voluminous rehearsals that we do for these podcasts, the the show hotel is a um uh, a nice sheraton that has an adjacent Starbucks and a shake Shack, so that basically is all the amenities i need
0: and a dunkin donut there's your there's your meals right there boom
1: yeah yeah i I never got an opportunity to have any of the show food because i was i was uh you know always making the super healthy dunkin donut shake shack uh runs,
0: yeah. And the plan was we were both going to go, but I couldn't make it because uh, I had to help my daughter move into college. We got a last minute note that she could move in a little early, so we had to do that. Uh, but you carried the Jason Scott banner up to Boston, wore your little triangle hat and played a flute, and you laid down some good podcasts that, that we're going to be rolling out here soon.
1: Yeah, I sure did. It's it's a good event. Um, You know, it's a little more intimate than some of the the biggest events, so you get a chance to interact with with more folks and... I got to record uh, three great shows. So listeners have probably already heard Luraz, um, who's the web psychologist from Quicktail, on last week's show, and in two upcoming shows, uh, we'll be talking about um, Dell and sort of their their evolution um, at, uh, from a you know pure consumer uh, B two C company to this big enterprise company today, uh, and we'll also be talking to the two founders of Tommy John and. Uh, their their great entrepreneurial story of sort of inventing a, a better t shirt and turning it into a very successful uh, business and you know kind of uh, an early digitally native vertical brand that we'll we'll get to learn more about.
0: Yeah, it's funny when I'm not listening to the Jason Scott show, my favorite podcast. Uh, I do listen to some other podcasts, and you can't really listen to anything without a Tommy John ad being on there. And then if I listen to XM radio. Uh, they're on there. They're on CNBC. So they seem to have really embraced uh, not only digital and and that media, but but a lot of analog media as well. So I look forward to hearing their whole story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to spoil a surprise for you, but I, I I think it was a good show. They were they're super interesting. So I will look forward to hearing your feedback.
0: Cool. Well, this week, we are going to really focus in on some e-commerce news. We're recording this at the back half of August, which is an interesting time because in the world of retail, what happens is we we take a luxurious summer and then uh, Labor Day hits and then everyone freaks out that it's the holidays right around the corner. So this is when the news picks up. So we wanted to pick up some of what's going on for everybody and and walk through some highlights. We're going to start with...
1: Yeah, so I think the first piece of Amazon news is exciting because it arguably makes uh, you and I sound wise. Uh, there was a news report that came out this week that Amazon is licensing a bunch of their technology, including just walk out technology from the Amazon Go store to Hyundai uh, to be used in a number of uh, retail stores in South Korea. So, you know, uh, listeners of the Amazon Go episode of our podcast will remember that we we talked a bit about the potential of Amazon licensing that technology, and uh, it appears we've we've seen the first version of that in the wild.
0: Yeah, yeah, and the um, you know, I I always uh, you and I speak uh out in the world a lot about Amazon, and one thing I like to tell a lot of people is the Amazon playbook, and you know, the the playbook's pretty simple now, and and it, they've repeated it hundreds of times, but it's dog food, so dog food something out, meaning use it internally. Um, and then every one of these steps, there is a path off of this ramp that is, it doesn't work, kill it. Uh, like the fire phone, for example, it went down to the kill it path. Uh, so so dog food is step one. Step two is scale first party. Step th- Step three is scale third party. And then the next step is really kind of opening it up even outside of third party um so you've seen like uh cloud computing went through this fba has gone through this and now i think this just walk out kind of cashierless store will will walk through this as well
1: yeah so it's uh going to be interesting to see how it all plays out um as we've already talked about there's a amazon go store that's going to open soon here in chicago so i'll i'll get a chance to to see it in the live uh with much more regularity than the the periodic visits to seattle
0: Cool. Have you, uh, when does the camp out start?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think they've publicly announced a date. I have gone by the site and, uh, it is all, all sort of, um, newspapered up all the windows and whatnot. So like, uh, it appears work is happening. Exciting. Yeah. I am slightly less excited about this next piece of news, but it may be interesting to listeners. Nonetheless, um, Amazon has extended the Alexa voice shopping capability to all of the Whole Foods products, so you can now uh, place you know orders not just from the uh, the huge Amazon catalog, but uh, from all the the Whole Foods in store products uh, directly from your Amazon Alexa.
0: Yeah, and I saw that uh, also within the Whole Foods part of Amazon, they now have. Um, you know, they're expanding the number of stores that have curbside pickup, and they have 30-minute windows now. Uh, and I think you were telling me that there's a – if you do an hour under, there's a fee, but two hours is free. Is that right?
1: Uh, no. So uh, for you can uh, order your food online and pick it up in an hour for free, or you can pay a fee. And I want to say it's like $7 to pick it up 30 minutes after you order it.
0: Have you um, – i i looked at the list of stores and it looked like major metros have you played with that in chicago yeah
1: Yeah, i have tried it um and it, it does work well the whole foods closest to mine supports it but it uh doesn't feel like they did a major build out to support it i've seen photos of other whole foods where they clearly um constructed some new infrastructure to support high volume curbside pickup uh but, I, you know, to me, this is um, very thematic for Amazon. First of all, I would just remind people that prior to the acquisition, Whole Foods didn't have a digital copy of their inventory online anywhere. Like, you couldn't go to WholeFoods.com and even see what products Whole Foods had in the store, much less order anything. And now, of course, uh, you can order anything from Whole Foods and have it uh, delivered uh, in an hour to your house, or you can have it ready for pickup at a store in 30 minutes, um, so a, I, I just think that's, that's uh, super impressive and a much faster pace than most traditional retailers move. And then I, I can also tell you that there's a ton of grocers that are super excited about, uh, order online curbside pickup, and they're all debating the pros and cons of every nuance of their experience. And they're all thinking about this kind of like, uh should we do same day pickup versus next day pickup and is it a four hour window after you order a six hour window um and you know of course amazon just comes in here and drops a bomb and says nope the customer standard is going to be 30 minutes to an hour after you order you should be able to get your groceries
0: yeah i was actually uh so, so two interesting things here real quick the uh when we did our deep dive on the acquisition of Whole Foods, you know one of the things that was kind of a question mark out there is Instacart had uh you know a deal with amazon um, and then you know I think it had been described as exclusive, but now we see Amazon doing curbside pickup, which you would argue maybe isn't the same obviously as Instacart which is delivery, but then Amazon is using Flex to deliver things too so and I think the instacart integration is still alive so it's it's really interesting, you know potentially confusing to a consumer um you know, because you can go to whole foods directly and get it delivered or you can go through Instacart or you can do the curbside.
1: Yeah. Uh, but I do think it is the case that in most markets, it's a much better deal to order uh, from whole foods uh, slash Amazon rather than to order whole foods through Instacart. Um, and the, the Amazon experience is a super set of the product catalog that's available on Instacart. So the, you know i sort of predicted when we did that that acquisition show that this was bad news for Instacart and that they were going to get squeezed out like i you know i think uh whole foods is still honoring the the duration of that that contract um but it certainly doesn't seem like a good long-term prognosis for Instacart with whole foods and you know, in fairness i would point out there's there's one potential experience advantage that Instacart has that I'm not sure a ton of people take advantage of. uh, But in many markets, it is possible to place a multi-retailer order from Instacart. So, you know, Whole Foods, you know, famously is missing a lot of unhealthy uh, national brands that people still crave. And so, you know, if, if you want some Captain Crunch cereal with your organic milk, it's in, in some markets it's possible to, to have Instacart, you know, go to Kroger and get the captain crunch and go to whole foods and get the organic milk. And you obviously won't be able to do that from the, the whole foods uh, direct delivery experience.
0: Yeah. And then the other one is I was tweeting with one of our listeners and, you know, what drives me crazy about most of the grocery experiences for, for pickup is you'll go through this pretty laborious process. You know, it can take up to 20, 30 minutes to, to throw everything in your cart. And at the end, they tell you, you know, it'll be a Saturday morning. I'm doing this and in the end, it'll say the first available window is Monday at 2 p.m. And you're just like, ah. Oh. so um, there may be a chicken and egg thing where they can't tell me up front, but they should be able to. You know, they they should know, you know, they should get a pattern for what I've ordered and realize it's four bags of groceries and that they can't it until next Monday. So it's terrible user experience because you go through all the investment up front, which may be what they're after, but then like the delivery window is terrible. So hopefully Amazon can solve that.
1: Yeah, that's a universally bad experience that you see all the time, right? Like I call it the when will I get it problem. And, and there's lots of permeations where you go, hey, I'm, I'm ordering this thing online for you know, my nephew's birthday party or you know some upcoming event. I only want to order it if I know I can get it by a certain date. And very often, you can't find out what that date is until after you've offered up all your payment details, and and in some cases, not even then. So that's that's just always a bad experience. And you're right; like it's a it's a super common bad experience on uh, grocery ordering. So
0: pro tip: I just throw an apple in there, and then start the checkout, and then it'll generally tell me
1: what the window is. And then yeah, I'll, but how ridiculous the is availability? Then I'll go through there. Yeah. That you have to learn how to hack the system to do that. Yeah and think of all their analytics they're like why can't we sell any apples our conversion rate on apple is horrible our cart abandonment is super high
0: well oh, yeah that's a to me that's a side that that's their punishment for 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 not telling me up front
1: yeah uh double pro tip next time you want to do that click on the the google product listing ad for the apple mm, okay <laughs> nice test it so, in there so they have okay. to pay for the click too
0: you're devious so i like it
1: yeah i'm a bad person um, and so then <laughs> this this last piece of news, which uh, is going to be interesting, I could see this going either way. Uh, Party City has uh, formed a partnership with Amazon where they are now selling their goods on Amazon, right? And, it, you know, when you first hear that, you go, hmm, Party sell, City sells third-party products that they don't make. Uh, why would a retailer want to sell someone else's stuff on Amazon when that, you know, someone else can also sell that stuff. So it's pretty hard to have a competitive advantage there. And obviously you have to give away the the margin from Amazon's take rate. Um, Party City does contract manufacture some of their own things. And I think a lot of what they're looking to sell on Amazon are uh, Halloween costumes. So in some cases, these are, are uh, things that are exclusive to Party City. Uh but then you you look out in the world and you go, gosh, most retailers are primarily focused on, on uh owned brands or exclusive products primarily as a strategy to compete against Amazon. So it's interesting that Party City is creating some of their own desirable products and embracing Amazon as a platform to sell them. So uh I just hadn't hadn't seen that particular dynamic play out in this exact way before. Um and it, it uh I'm gonna be curious to watch how it plays out.
0: Yeah, yeah, that will be interesting. And it was a really weird week news-wise because Amazon, that's kind of the end of our Amazon news. And usually we have like 50 things we can talk about, Talk about, uh, but that being said, a lot of other retailers had pretty interesting news. It's, it's kind of the time of year where we're getting the same store sales and updates from their Q2s. So Walmart had a lot to say this week. Uh, why don't you kick us off with some highlights from that one?
1: Yeah, yeah. In general, I think if you're a fan of retail, it was a pretty exciting uh, earnings season this this uh, quarter. Um, so Walmart came in with a six percent year over year growth in their same store sales, which uh, was a beat over their their expectation. In the U.S., it was a four percent year over year growth, which is uh, still beat the expectation. That's the highest growth in same store sales in Walmart in 10 years. Um, so that's a huge win. Uh, they also announced a 40% increase in their e-commerce growth, um, and they they uh, reaffirmed that their their guidance for the whole year is that they're going to grow e-com by 40%. Um, some listeners may remember last quarter they only grew by 33%, and uh, the market beat them up a little bit because the market was promised 40% for the whole year, and they, they only turned in 33% in that first quarter, and everyone's like, how are you going to make it? So this quarter they hit forty percent. So they still have some makeup to do, but but uh, trending in the right direction. And forty percent growth uh, at at Walmart is a big number. Like if, you know you know anyone other than Amazon, you know you Walmart's e commerce business is very big. It's north of fifteen billion dollars. So growing that by forty percent is pretty darn impressive.
0: Yeah, and, and as a reminder, the baseline of e commerce growth is fifteen percent. So that's a you know a two to three x uh, of the baseline.
1: Yeah, and what we're probably going to have to talk about that again later because that that fifteen percent is feeling increasingly fishy as as we look at all the the news here. Um, but one of the things uh, that's super interesting uh, for a retailer is that traffic is actually up in the stores, right? Like, so there's things you can you can control by changing your experience and your pricing and all these sorts of things. But like one of the you know the biggest uh, needles that's most difficult to move is to get more people to show up in your store and do more shopping and at Walmart in the US foot traffic was up 2% in the stores and uh, the, the size of the average ticket was up 2% so those are two super favorable metrics uh, that at Walmart scale translate into uh, a lot of gross margin dollars which is uh, pretty exciting if you're a Walmart investor so super rosy Um, I like to remind people a couple of the underlying reasons why some of those numbers, particularly the e-commerce numbers, were so good. So in the the earnings announcement, they also said that they were now at 1,800 locations where you could order groceries online and pick them up in the store. And so it's my contention that a big chunk of their 40% growth is that they keep adding more stores uh, that offer curbside pickup, right? So. Normally when you talk about e-commerce, you kind of think of it as this big homogeneous thing and, oh, we sold uh, $1 billion uh, across the whole U.S. online last year, and this year we sold $1.5 billion. That's great. Um, the, your goods online are generally available anywhere in the country, but curbside pickup groceries aren't. Right? You can only sell curbside pickup groceries in a zip code where you have a store that can fulfill those orders. And so the fact that they only had 1,000 stores last year that could fulfill those orders and they have 1,800 stores now means they they essentially doubled their capacity. So it's not surprising that their their e-commerce growth uh, was so high as well. And so I've actually talked to analysts like you You really need to think about digital grocery sales sort of as analogous to same-store sales. Like you, you really want to see a number that says – what was my e- e-commerce in the set of stores that I had last year? And then what was my incremental growth from new stores that I opened this year?
0: Yeah. the um, So you can make the argument that they're kind of like, you know, playing a shell game and moving stuff out of the store P&L and in, into the e commerce PL, which which sounds like there's a little bit of that going on. But the fact that still, you know, same store sales were 6% indicates that, you know, they maybe there's a fair amount of incrementality in there with the, the grocery pickup that, they're they're not doesn't seem to be cannibalizing the store side of the business if 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 it's growing six percent.
1: Yeah. And and there are a bunch of interesting dynamics. Uh we'll we'll have to deep dive into it another time. But it's funny, the the things you are willing to buy and that you do and don't spend your money on when you walk through the store and put all your products in the cart tend to be different than the things you're willing to buy when they're anonymously put in your trunk in the parking lot. And so they're they're actually like there's some evidence now that consumers are willing to buy more unhealthy food for curbside pickup than they are in the store when all their neighbors are going to see them with a the big tub of ice cream in the in the cart. For example, which, which I find is is interesting. Uh Walmart in addition to this curbside pickup which I of course I'm very bullish on, Walmart is also uh, playing a placing a big bet on home delivery of groceries from a store and they said that they'll have uh, coverage of, in, uh, 40% of the U S population by the end of this year. So, uh, that, that is scaling as well. And I think they made some, some announcements a little earlier in the month that they were exploring some interesting automation to help pick products, to expedite those, those grocery deliveries and the curbside delivery. So a lot of investments in that space. It's a, a hot space in grocery overall. Um, and you know, as the executives were talking about, uh, the the climate that was driving all this, you know, they 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 were pretty clear. They're like, hey, the number one reason that we we had such a good quarter is that the consumer backdrop is so favorable. Um, and the, I think that's a theme where we're going to hit, you know, again later in the show. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um the There was some third-party news where you can now so, – so Walmart's had a marketplace, and, and now you can return those products in the store. It used to be if you bought a third-party online, you couldn't uh, return it uh, to the store, which was super confusing for people. So consumers get confused by the whole third-party thing. Um So, you know, this is this is a huge win for the marketplace because now you have a similar experience to any Walmart item where you can buy it online, return it online or return it in the store.
1: Yeah, and I imagine that that's a a huge uh, benefit to consumers and pretty annoying to uh, a bunch of marketplace sellers that are now forced into uh, more generous terms than potentially made economic sense for them.
0: Cool. Uh, did you want to move on to target or any other Walmart stuff you want to hit? Uh,
1: I guess one last, uh, Walmart note, uh, Walmart made another investment this quarter of $500 million in a Chinese online grocery service. Uh, digital ordering of grocery in China is huge. There are a bunch of big players. Uh, Walmart has stores in China. It's one of the international markets that they continue to fight for. Um, and it's interesting to see them still in uh, growth and investment mode. As, as people remember, they made a big investment last quarter in uh, Flipkart in, in China, um, which makes $500 million investment almost seem like chump change. But, but uh, uh, very clearly, you know, that, uh, China is still a huge digital land grab and all the big global players want to have a strong presence there.
0: Yeah. One other, uh, acquisition thing there, uh, they did close out the acquisition of Flipkart. when you, when you do these big international deals, uh, governments get involved and, uh, you know, there is risk in there that, you know, either India or someone in the U S there's this whole foreign investment board thing that can kick in and say, you know, th- we have a problem with this, this acquisition uh, in this example, it, you know, a lot of that happens around China. Um, so, uh, Because the U.S. has a friendly relationship with India, I wouldn't see it go that way. But India is very squirrely about retailers uh, out of the country coming in. Um, So it is good news that they were able to close that flip cart
1: deal. Yeah, I'm sure that that was a sigh of relief for, for all the folks in Bentonville.
0: Yeah, so uh, literally the day after Walmart uh, this week, then Target announced, uh, and it was kind of funny because there was a little bit of shade being thrown there. So their same store of sales were up six point five percent, which is you know uh, five hundred basis points higher than Walmart, uh, and it was the highest in the thirteen years. So, so they you know uh, a lot of people uh, listeners to the show kind of noticed that Target used a lot of the similar language, but but had you know slightly better. Results than than Walmart, so that was kind of funny. Um, their CEO, uh, you know, I think was a little bit giddy uh, with excitement. So uh, Brian Cornell, uh, he said, "quote I've been doing this for a long time, and I think this is the healthiest environment I've ever seen." End quote. Um, so so clearly the economy has you know kind of uh, and if you look at a lot of the data, I won't belabor it, but if you look at consumer price index, uh, unemployment is way down. Uh, and then even now we're starting to see wages go up, um, across a lot of different bands, not just college people, but hourly employees. Uh, so, so it feels like these guys are feeling it. Um, you and I have a little bit of another theory we'll talk about after this, but, but, uh, that's benefiting the department stores. Uh, but let's see what else. So their e-commerce was up 41% um, versus 36% last year. Uh, and then they have same-day delivery in 1,100 areas. Uh, uh, you and I have been talking on Twitter as I go through different targets. Uh, so I was down in South Carolina at a Target, and I saw them installing the same-day delivery, uh, the curbside pickup. They're, they're installing it in a lot of stores around here, um, and they're currently in 800 stores. Uh and then, you know, they have been investing a ton in owned brands. Uh one of the most popular ones is Cat and Jack. Uh and that has reached a two billion dollar run rate in a year, which is just amazing. Uh and I can say as a guy that just took two kids to college, um, you know, the more and more of the stuff you buy at Target, especially if you get like dorm furniture or any of their seasonal aisles is is kind of owned brands. Um they have one called Room Essentials, and I think we we personally have spent, yeah a bazillion dollars on room essentials uh, for, for college kids.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a, a super common strategy that we're seeing a lot of traction on is the own brands, but cat and Jack is particularly amazing. I mean, imagine any, any company launching a new consumer brand and getting the $2 billion in sales in one year. That's, that's pretty spectacular. Uh,
0: where did that go? So like, what did they displace? Do you think the gap? Ah,
1: huh? baby gap. Um, now, uh, I'm being slightly sarcastic. Baby Gap did have a, or Gap had a bad quarter, but, um, like, uh, most beneficial, uh, uh, Babies are Us is, was, is a big chunk of Toys R Us. And so, you know, I think there's an argument that, that Target was, a a good beneficiary of that, uh, of, of Toys R Us, uh, closing their stores this quarter. Um, whether that was all Cat and Jack or not, I'm, I'm, uh, less clear, but, but, uh, They're killing it. But the eye-popping number out of all that Target news to me was that their store traffic climbed 6.4%. So that's a huge number that you're not used to seeing in a well-established retailer. And just to kind of put that in perspective for people, um, I want to say Target has about 1,800 stores. So having their traffic increased by 6.4% is the equivalent of they magically had 110 more stores that just opened for free this quarter. Yeah. Which, that's amazing.
0: Uh, yeah, and one of the, you know, they don't quantify it, but they did have a lot of superlatives around. Um, I forget what they called it, but they had a Prime Day sale, um, both online and in-store, if I recall. Um, and They did call out on their conference call that, that that had some, you know, some really good benefits for them in June.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think the uh, uh, they, they definitely got the nice uh, Amazon Prime Day kiss. Yeah, thanks Amazon. Um, so as we
0: were going over this, we thought it was kind of interesting because the economy is doing well, um, but really, like what's changed in the last thirty days? And, and when you dig into that, uh, I think what's happening here is Malageddon. So, so in an ironic twist of fate, uh, we want to update you guys on store closures, but we we think that this is having an impact on Walmart and target. Uh, you know, the simple example is toys are us, uh, closing has created, you know, a, a huge toy opportunity, even party city who you talked about before, everyone's adding toys, Barnes and Noble's adding toys. Uh, I think that'll be, you know, that'll be okay, but I just don't think consumers are thinking about that. Now when you think about toys, you really have two choices, Walmart and target, uh, and Halloween and back to school. So, so it's gonna be interesting, but, um, we're two thirds through the year and we thought it would be good to have a Malageddon update. So, the way this plays out is so far this year, so again, this is through mid-August when when this data is collected, we've had 4,379 store closures and 2,239 opens. Uh, I think it's important to look at this data because I see online a lot of times that there is no retail apocalypse. There's, you know, for every store that closes, there's five that open and they, they'll talk about Warby or something like that. Um... That's just flat wrong. So, so this is the real data. Uh, this is announced closures. So it's hard to know exactly when a retailer is opening a store or closing it. So these are announced opens and announced closures. So you net those two numbers out and you get about 2000 fewer stores. Um, now looking back, okay, that's, that's kind of where we are in 2018. If you look back last year, uh, and again, 2018 is two thirds of a year. So we'll probably have some more. Uh, and in fact, since the 15th, when this data comes out there, there have been more, I'll, I'll, I'll give highlights on last year, there were 7,000 closures. So, uh, you know, I don't think we'll get to 7,000 this year. There'd have to be quite a lot. Um, and then there's three thousand opens. So last year there was a net loss of two thousand eight hundred stores. So I, I do think we will probably replicate that. You know, all we need is another six, seven hundred stores to be announced, um, and uh, I think we'll get there. So we'll see. Um, so for example, Sears just announced today forty six more stores, and then Lowe's announced they're going to close something called or- 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 or-
1: Orchard Orchard Supply Hardware. Yeah. yeah.
0: There you go. That's news to me. Um, and that's about a hundred stores. Um, the other thing that, that, you know, kind of gets missed in a lot of these conversations is the the square footage, right? So it's easy. Uh, if you lose a Toys R Us and you gain a, uh, I don't know, uh, a Warby, you know, a 2000 square foot Warby showroom, you know, what, what's the difference in the square footage. So, uh, there are some wall street firms, uh, credit Swiss has really good data on this, uh, and they're projecting. So, so they had, they said 2017 was the worst year, uh, in, you know, since 2001, when we were in, there was a recession then, uh, and it was a hundred million square feet that closed 110 million. Um, they think this year will be about the same. So, so I guess it's good in that it's not accelerating, but we're, we're net losing 100 million square feet of retail, which can't be good. And then when you start to look at some of the stores uh, you know, that are closing, we've talked about some of them. Uh, but some of the ones that are opening, for example, Dollar General is opening 900 stores. Uh, Aldi Five Below is opening 125. So I think what you're seeing is this really interesting kind of uh, to kind of speak to the bifurcation that that Casey has introduced to us a a lot on the show Um, you're seeing the value oriented retailers really opening a lot of stores uh, but the convenience and, and there's some of those things in there, like a Warby, but Warby's going to open like, you know, 36 stores they've announced. Um, Then you have like Indochino opening 18. There's, you know, there's just no countering the, the other side of that coin where, you know, 46 seers, like think of the size of those things, that's going to be worth, you know, 90 or 150 warbies or something like that.
1: It's a lot of 50. Tesla dealerships. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so it is interesting to kind of think through that. Now, the other thing that's really interesting is uh, I know a lot of people in the real estate world and for the first time ever in Industrial. The price of industrial space exceeds retail space uh, or mall space. So there's a lot of mall space out there. It's heavily discounted. Um, you see things. Uh, another big one that's a problem is this Bonton. I'm not that familiar with these guys. Um, but They're evidently in with a lot of these Sears that are closing. Um, and a lot of these analysts also do this this math that says if you lose two anchors, you're pretty much toast. So once Bonton announced they were closing, I think about 200 stores uh, that put a big chunk of malls at risk. I, I saw like 100 store, you know, kind of half the Bontons probably will make some malls fail. Um, So this has put extreme pressure on the retail pricing and malls specifically. So now you're seeing industrial, which is essentially like warehouse space. uh, The square footage there, uh, it's in such supply. Amazon and all these people are going up and buying all they can get uh, that you're now seeing that invert for the first time ever, which is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it's super fascinating and probably explains why Amazon opened a fulfillment center in an abandoned mall (laughs) this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Amazon just opened another fulfillment center here in the triangle and they had to put it kind of a pretty good distance out because there's just like, you know, at the same time, they're, they're building million square foot fulfillment centers and and 2 million. So, so the amount of land they need is going up. So it's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's, it's very fascinating to just put those, the net store counts in some context. I it, I think it's possible that la- 2017 was the first year in like the the history of tracking retail that we had net store closures. So like that that is not the normal trend. Like you know even in years uh, in like the 2008's when we were you know having a, a a real challenge, there were still more store openings than there were closing. And so the fact that last year we actually lost a net number of stores. Uh, and we're going to again this year. And to your point, like probably more severe when we look at at square footage than store counts. Uh, that is absolutely a disruptive new trend in the market. And so, like, I'm perfectly fine jumping on the bandwagon with you and talking about mall again because I, like you know, I, I do think uh, this this is an Armageddon for a lot of the malls in the U.S. Uh, I'm less willing to talk about retail Armageddon, because I do think um, that there's a lot of, of segments of retail outside the mall that have far fewer headwinds than the the mall-based retailers have. And, you know, so I, uh, like, it, retail is absolutely being disrupted by, right now. Like, digital is certainly one of the big factors. Like, I would argue there are other, other factors that are contributing to it as well. Um, but as we've talked about on the show a lot, The U.S. is uniquely overstored with 24 square feet of space per person versus like the U.K. where they have five square feet of space per person. So um, even if retail is going to grow revenue and be healthy, we still have way too many uh, stores. And so the fact that that we're having a correction in that, like to me alone, isn't isn't super worrisome. Uh, but, but I think what we're seeing is even when the economic factors are really good, like they are this quarter and, and Walmart and target are giddy, uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's affecting different retailers in different segments, uh, at dramatically different rates. And so it's that rising tide is not lifting all boats. It's lifting a bunch of boats and, uh, it, it's leaving a, uh, a number of those bolts boats in the malls in dry dock.
0: Yeah, so it's a really interesting setup thinking about holiday 18 because we've got the economy really cooking. You've got uh, less competition because these stores are closing. Uh, and then you've got Walmart and Target kind of heading into September with what feels like a really robust tailwind. So it's going to be a, a pretty interesting holiday to see how things come out. Um, and then you, you kind of, teased this earlier that the thing that continues to befuddle me is, you know, everyone talks about e-commerce growing 15%. I just checked the U.S. commerce data and they came out with Q2 at like, you know, 15%, like 15.5% e-commerce growth. But here we have, now we know Amazon reported, you know, kind of in the high 20s. Walmart and Target are in the 40s. Platforms like Shopify are in the 20, 30%. The only the only company I know of that's below 15% is eBay at kind of like six to 9%. Um, So it just really continues to not add up for me where if we take the biggest guys, Amazon's half of e-commerce, Walmart is, is a kind of a big chunk. Uh, A lot of times Apple gets counted in here. Apple had a great quarter. Um, I I don't understand. There has to be like, when you do the math, there has to be like a slice of 10% that's growing minus a thousand percent for e-commerce to only growing 15%. So I, I keep coming to this conclusion that I think e-commerce has got to be growing faster than the 15%. It just kind of mathematically has to. So, well, someday uh, we're, we're going to d- get to the bottom of this and build a table and, and really dig in on it. But uh, not today. <laughs> uh,
1: no, uh, very true. And uh, like, if, uh, it's going to be interesting to see as it becomes a more important part, like accurate data is going to become more important. And, and like we, we just don't have numbers we can rely on right now for the actual size of e-commerce and the growth. So uh, something we'll probably talk about a lot more, but there are a number of other odds and ends in the news that I wanted to make sure we, we saved just a little bit of time to cover. Um, So again, I don't want to brag Uh, Chicago feels like the, the, new retail e-commerce capital of the world. Like, we get all the new stuff first. Uh, and this this month, Google announced that they are going to open their first permanent store. And, of course, they have chosen Chicago for that store. So Google has done a bunch of pop-ups. I think we've talked about some of them on the, the podcast before. They, they've they done one in Tribeca the last couple of years uh, selling all their, their Google-branded products. But the first permanent Google store is going to open up here in Chicago, And there really hasn't been a lot of word about like what the goal of the store will be. Is it predominantly selling Pixel phones and Google Home voice products, you know, or, you know, is it going to sell third party products? And so it's going to be interesting to see what that looks like. And I will look forward to doing a trip report when the store opens.
0: If you can only camp out for the Amazon Go store in Chicago or the Google store, which one are you going to camp out
1: for? I would do the Google store because I had been in an Amazon go store. So it just, you know, for me, it'll be a uh, newer and I, I guess I'm, I'm less certain what I'm going to see in it.
0: I remember you gave us a trip report to a Google pop-up store and you were not happy. There was some VR thing that didn't work and they didn't understand a pixel question you had. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I think it'll, the, the bar is going to be set high for them to, to amaze you.
1: Yeah. Retail is very hard. And, uh, yeah. you know, so some of these digital companies that that's not their core business, you know, find it out the hard way when they, when they first start trying to have these these direct consumer experiences.
0: Yeah, I saw two uh, interesting digital native vertical brand news items. So MVMT or movement watches. Uh, and this is interesting because they kind of both fit in a theme. I thought, thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, I call this theme, the analog dinosaur buys the digital diva. So uh, they sold their company uh, for $100 million uh, cash up front plus $100 million earnout out to Movado so a traditional watch company buying the direct to consumer kind of more digital native brand. Um, and then, uh, as part of the announcement, it was revealed that they, the company had $70 million in revenue, uh, run rate, which is, you know, so against hundred million, that's maybe like a little bit more than one times, one and a half times revenue, which isn't too exciting, but if they can get their earn out at 200 million, then you're talking three times that that's, that's, Pretty good. Um, One that was a little more secretive, so I don't have any juicy numbers, but it is kind of in this theme. Is the traditional mattress company Serta acquired Tuft & Needle, one of the many Casper-like kind of mattress in a box companies? Um, And what's interesting about that release was a couple things. Uh, Number one, they specifically said the reason we bought this these guys is we're we're going to have them build a whole platform for Serta. So I guess Serta doesn't really sell direct to consumer, uh, and this is. probably driven by the chaos in the mattress world that the mattress firm announced that they'll probably go into bankruptcy. Uh, and, uh, Serta is owned by a private equity firm and there's a lot of speculation that that private equity firm kind of has to buy the mattress firm because, uh, are that's like some ginormous chunk of their revenue. Um, And uh, then a lot of people have been wondering about mattress firms because there's kind of a, you can hardly drive a block, you know, in these strip malls without, you know, sometimes you see pictures online of mattress firms effectively next to each other. And uh, so so they're they're clearly overbuilt on mattress firms. Um, Another little tidbit of that is they did say they believe today certus uh, sort of said they believe 30% of mattresses are not, now bought through e-commerce uh, and this was kind of their you know it was effectively them saying hey this is pretty serious we we need to get involved
1: yeah it, that certainly seems like an industry that was disrupted like the the traditional model is pure wholesale model. And it's kind of a slimy version of the wholesale model. Like all these mattress companies make unique models of their mattress for every retailer so that the retailers can all all offer price matching guarantees, knowing that they're the only ones in the world that carry that particular sort of mattress, for example. Um, and so the, the, the whole model is wholesale distribution. Um, and you know, of course they've been disrupted by all these direct to consumer, uh, mattress companies, Casper and Tufton Needle and and uh, uh, you know I think there's a cohort of like six of them. Uh, so yeah, not not shocking that you're seeing the the old guards uh, you know play defense by trying to acquire the new guards. Uh, I also, you know, there were a bunch of other retail earnings reports. We're not going to deep dive into all of them. Uh, but, uh, TJ Maxx, which, you know, they're, they've been in a very good position in the marketplace for a, for a long time with that, you know, the value oriented retailers. Um, and they had another beat this year, um, this quarter that's them, them them having a quarter is particularly impressive because they're working against like pretty aggressive comps. So like some of these retailers that have had, you know, sort of a lot of bad quarters, uh, you know, announcing that your growth was was good against those the soft sales in the past isn't as impressive as as it isn't uh, for like a TJ Maxx. Uh, Macy's had a really good quarter; they had a beat. Um, they they also you know credited the sort of turnaround in the consumer environment um, as a, a, a major um, factor, and they I think actually raised their guidance for the rest of the year so that. That's encouraging, Uh, though, you know, they're they're the big anchor left in most of those distressed malls. So, um, you know, they're going to be particularly interesting to watch. Uh, Nordstrom had a beat. You know, Nordstrom is normally viewed as kind of the the safest of the 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 anchor stores and the department stores. And so, you know, they're working against decent comps and they were up four percent same source sales. Their e-com was up 23 percent, which sounds modest compared to some of the companies we talked about earlier but to your point that's still dramatically above what you know allegedly is our industry average growth so you know uh doesn't doesn't all seem to jibe uh and then one last piece of news that was uh interesting to me we we've on this show talked a little bit about own brands and retailers investing in in that strategy um and you know i i uh See it a lot that that's one of retailers' primary strategies for defending themselves against Amazon is sell stuff that that Amazon can't sell. Um, Kroger has an own brand called Simple Truth, which is actually the the largest organic foods brand in the U.S. And an interesting uh, piece of news I noticed this month: Kroger is now selling Simple Truth on Mall. So this seems like a a, a extra benefit of of doing well in the own brand, um, most retailers really struggle to expand geographically and just because you 're a good grocer in the u s moving to China and trying to open grocery stores in China um, is really challenging and and you know the most retailers don 't successfully expand internationally uh, the way they 'd like. But when you build these own brands and then you can leverage existing marketplaces to expand the, those brands internationally, that seems like a much lower risk, um, higher likelihood of success way to, to diversify their, their revenue and do international expansion. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot more of those kind of plays. And certainly we mentioned Cat and Jack earlier. That, that seems like a, a, an obvious one to see some, some uh, international expansion on. So that is a lot of news, and I want to remind listeners that what uh, coming up very soon, less than three weeks away, is uh, the annual Shop.org Summit in Las Vegas. So it's the 12th through the 14th. If you haven't made your plans yet, uh, go ahead and uh, uh, book that trip. Uh, I will be there and would love to catch up with any listeners that are going to be in Las Vegas this year. And that is going to be where where we're going to have to leave it because it's happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. As always, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please jump onto our Facebook page and we'll keep the dialogue going there. And, you know, now would be a great time to finally thank us for this podcast by jumping onto iTunes and giving us that five-star review. Uh, That's really the best way uh, for you to thank us if you are finding the the show to be valuable. And, of course, if you're not finding the show valuable, the best way uh, is to call Scott on his personal number and, and talk to him about your grievances.
0: Absolutely. I look forward to hearing this.
1: And so, until next time, happy e-commerceing. You've been listening to the Jason and Scott show for all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing. Subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.